Okay, we'll be doing, it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, actually been doing this. I think it's been about three weeks, I think, since we uh, last were looking in here. And um, between me being out of town and then family camp last week. So we're actually on lesson four, chapter four here. Um, we're actually doing lesson four and five since uh, lesson four is pretty short and lesson five is not quite as short, but fairly short itself. Um, so we planning to do those. And then also, I believe Andy ordered one of these books for everybody today. So every family should have their own one of these books um, Pastor and I were talking about it with that, and it's just a really good study, so it'd be good just for every family to have kind of their own copy of this. And as you'll see, it kind of reads, it's more laid out kind of like a book, not necessarily like a teaching outline, so to speak. So it's uh, pretty easy to uh, to read in that way. Um, but yeah, we'll be doing uh, lesson four and then lesson five um, tonight. And let's go ahead and pray before we jump in here. Lord, I do thank you for um, the opportunity that we have here this evening to um, look into your Look into your word to see some principles and just um, some things about the power of biblical thinking and a changed mind that results in and a changed actions. And um, just be with us and help me. It's presenting a lesson um, that you just um, can let your word shine forth, not mine. And um, one of the authors even that you just uh, work in the lives of others as you did in mine as preparing this lesson. And then um, just get something that we can just stick in our minds and that can um, we use to help us make us more of what we ought to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember from the first, kind of this is, lesson four is the last lesson in part one, which part one is the whole point of brainwashed Christianity with the, it kind of is centering, remember, on Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. To, in Athens, um, to the uh, centers around that whole thing of the unknown God, if you remember that, and his sermon there. With the, um, I'll go back and just look at the one part just to kind of remember that. Because he's challenging them to start thinking correctly, basically. And then it kind of leads into chapter one with the brainwashed person will come, brainwashed person will come to four realizations. And the first one was chapter one, which is the realization of a created mind. Um, chapter two was the realization of a changed mind. Um, chapter three, which we did two and three, I think, last time. Chapter three is the realization of a conscientious mind. If you remember, that had some pretty good um, lessons and illustrations. Remember the, the football example in there? Remember him and his coach and just uh, constantly being on him, but the whole point with that was um, conviction isn't fun, but when God's word speaks, don't rebel against it because that means he's working on you and he's still trying to work on you. It's like a good coach does. So chapter four then here, which is the last uh, one in this section, is the realization of a created um, mind or captured, however you want to say it should actually be captured mind. I don't know why the the uh, PowerPoint has the wrong one on there. It's a realization of a captured mind. I think that's what's on your paper, right? Yep. It's a realization of a captured mind. Acts 17.34 says, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. So I like the way this chapter ends on a positive note. 
talking about the Acts 17 there. While some hardened to the message of God, others heeded. Some mocked, but others melted. God wants to capture our mind with truth. The world and all of its influences have been in control of our thoughts for too long. It's time to change our minds. It's time to, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And because, Romans 8.6, for to be carnally minded, really carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the first point is the captured mind begins with an, they start with an O, Think of this as buzzword in our society today, not this specific. It's a variant of this word, but you want to be this-minded. You want to be open-minded. So the captured mind begins with an openness. When verse 34 speaks of some that clave unto him, it means that they were open to the truth that Paul was teaching. They were hungry and wanted more. What a joy to find people whose prayer is, as Psalm 119, 18-19 says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. Is your mind open to God? Just prior to his visit to Mars Hill, Paul had been with a group of people who were described as more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of God that they receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So again, kind of with how it's laid out, the subpoints aren't exactly uh, all in here, but a desire to, this starts with an M. We want our kids to do this. True, but <laughs> M-A... Desire to mature. A desire to mature. And this kind of has to do with the verses that we read. A diligence to, also starts with an M. This book of the law shall, um, yep, there. Desire to meditate. So then point two is the capture, again, kind of follow the progression. The captured mind begins with openness. The captured mind proceeds with, starts the no. Considering the last point is the captured mind culminates in, yep, captured mind proceeds with an obedience. Not only did those in verse 34 cleave to Paul's words, but they believed. How precious the word of God is when it is received with a desire to obey. As an earring of gold and as an ornament of, and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. Proverbs 25, 12. The blessing of God rests on those who not only hear, but obey. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if ye in any be a hearer of the word and not a doer... He is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, 
but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Sometimes I hear people say, God doesn't speak to my heart anymore. Must be the preacher isn't doing his job because God just doesn't speak to me. My friend, the problem is not with the preacher. The problem is you didn't obey the last time he spoke. God isn't going to show you new truth until you obey the old truth. If I teach my grandkids to ride their bikes on the proper side of the road and they disobey me and ride wherever they want to, do you think I'm going to let them get behind the wheel of my car? God isn't going to show you the specifics of his word and his will until we obey him in the basics. Have you obeyed the last message you heard? James 4.17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Then the points under here, that starts with a P, a, um, these are kind of a little interesting, might be a little difficult to get. Starts with a P, it's a practice. A practice of deference. Kind of a little interesting. A practice, and then this also is a P. This has to do, think of the example that was just given. Starts with a P, the whole bike riding example, and God uh, showing us truth. A problem problem with disobedience. So we saw all that <clears throat> the, capt- the, uh, the captured mind begins with an openness, the captured mind proceeds with an obedience, and then the captured mind culminates in, and starts with an O as well. It's kind of a, once you hear it and you get the point, you'll see what it, where it's going. It might be a little difficult to get before that culminates in an ownership, among which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Demarius and others with them, Acts 17.34. These two converts from the preaching on Mars Hill did not seem that significant. They are certainly not household names of the faith. What's interesting, however, is the last phrase, and others with them. Dionysius and Demarius opened their mind, the truth, first point, obeyed that truth, and now owned it in such a way as to make an impact on others. When a brainwash truly takes place, that's exactly what happens. The Word of God changes the mind so the wrong thinking of the past is released. Excuse me. The Word of God changes the mind so the wrong thinking of the past is replaced by right thinking, which affects the way that we live. Our minds affect our manners, remember? So if our manners are ever going to change, our minds have to change first. When right thinking takes place, right living will follow. Here's the way Joshua of old put it. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's Joshua 1.8. Hearing God's word causes us to meditate on it, which leads to the doing of it, which produces God's success. God's formula for a changed life starts with a changed mind. Does God need to wash your brain out with soap? Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken Unto you, John 15, 3. A lot of so-called open minds ought to be closed for cleaning. 
is an interesting statement. Your mind is a sacred enclosure into which nothing harmful can enter except by your permission. Interesting way to think of it. Why don't you give God permission today to wash it of the wrong thinking of the past and saturate it with the truth of his word? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With, thy whole, with my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. That's Psalm 119, 9 to 11. When someone calls you one of those brainwashed Christians, thank them for the compliment. And that's chapter 4. So a couple uh, questions here before we move on. Well, actually, let's finish the subpoints here. Is the process of a sort of the C changed? Yep. Process the process of a changed mind, and then the pertinence of a cleanse. Yep. Nice. <coughs> the pertinence of a cleansed mind. So the first question was the captured mind begins with what? Openness. That's kind of going back to point number one. Question two is, since we cannot wash our minds out with soap, how can we cleanse our minds? And see John 15, 3. Word of God, which that verse, John 15, 3, is now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. When right thinking takes place, right living will follow. Referencing Joshua 1.8, summarize the steps to right living and then take special note of the first step. Think back to Joshua 1.8. So it kind of starts with what? Hearing, kind of hearing God's word. Then what, what did it move to? Meditate. And then doing. Question four is, think back to the last spiritual truth you were taught, and then read James 4.17, which is, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Have you obeyed that spiritual truth? And what does the Bible say about knowing to do good and not doing it? Obviously, obeying the truth we've been given, and obviously... Not doing it. it. Question five is, the blessing of God rests on those who not only hear, but who also obey. And then it says, write out the scripture, what the scriptures say about obedience in James 1, 22 to 25, which is the whole point of uh, being doers of the word and not hearers only. So now that kind of moves us into actually part two in our book here. On to part two. First part, first section was brainwash Christianity. Now part two is who left the brain door open? The routine was all too familiar. Get up early, pack the van, drive most of the day, arrive at the next church, unpack, set up the display, sing and preach, fellowship, follow someone to his house, try to get some sleep, 
in a strange bed only to get up the next day and do it all over again. Such is life on the road with a summer ensemble. But this night turned out to be very interesting. After the service, we were introduced to the family that would be keeping all of the girls in the group. I would follow the family out to their place, drop the girls off, and then they would give me directions to the motel where our room would be waiting for me. We wove our way into the beautiful Washington State countryside and arrived at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Beto and their four daughters. As we approached the driveway, an electric gate opened and suddenly Mr. Beto took off in the van. He was flying down the driveway toward the house. I was trying to keep up, but soon thought better as horses began to scatter across their meticulously manicured front yard, leaving deep holes with their hooves as they fled. As the van screeched to a halt, Mr. Beto quickly jumped out and began chasing the horses back toward the corral while yelling, Who left the gate open? As I recall, no one ever admitted to being that culprit that night, but the damage had been done. The lawn, along with a lot of nerves, had been torn up that night because somebody left the gate open. The child of God, this is an interesting statement, the child of God must be both open-minded and closed-minded. That may seem like a contradiction, but let me explain. Mr. Beto wouldn't be very smart if he built a corral without a gate. Indeed, the corral would be closed all the time, but he also wouldn't be able to have any horses. There are times when the gate to the corral needs to be open. Feed needs to be taken into the corral. Horses need to be led to and from for grooming and riding. The corral needs to be cleaned, etc. There are other times, particularly while you're at church, when the gate needs to be closed <laughs> tightly. Paul was concerned for the Christians trying to live for Christ in Rome. He knew that the wicked influences were all around them, and he was concerned that those influences would enter their minds and corrupt them. Yet at the same time, he wanted them to be open to instruction from God and easily influenced to follow him. He wrote, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. That's Romans 16, 19. The apostle knew that they would have the blessing of God if they would follow the instruction in the very first psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 1, 1 to 2. How sad it is to see people, even God's people, who close their minds to truth and open it to sin and error. This problem is not new. For Jeremiah confronted it in his day. For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children, and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. That's Jeremiah 4.22. How sad is it that many today know the latest fads and fashions, the top ten songs, Hollywood actors by name and movie, where to find pornography on the internet or corner store, but couldn't name the books of the Bible in order if you put a gun to their head. What a sad culture indeed when we know more about evil than we do about good. The gates of our minds are wide open welcoming the pollution that destroys our lives and yet remains closed to, thus saith the Lord. Have you learned when to shut 
the brain door. In part one, we discussed the importance of opening our minds to truth so that change in our minds can occur. Now we must discover the importance of being closed-minded. In 1 Timothy 4, we discover four reasons to keep the brain door closed. And actually, it's 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 16. Let's just go ahead and turn in your Bibles, and we'll read through that here. 1 Timothy 1, 4 to 16. Actually, did I say 1 Timothy 1? I meant 1 Timothy 4, sorry. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 16. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 16. So I'll start in verse 1, then we'll just go around the room and uh, read this here. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Don't put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, learned and thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Bodily exercise profit little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity and spirit, in faith and truth. Till I come, give, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Then let not the gift of me, which was given me by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself fully to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself, and unto the For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself, and then thou too. Dead faith, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, hypocritical lies, seared conscience, and old wives' fables dominate the thinking of man today. Timothy probably didn't need the history lesson any more than we do. There's a problem with the way we think because we've left our minds open to everything but the truth. But Paul isn't preaching to the world now. He's done that already. In this letter, he's zeroing in on young Timothy, his son in the faith, admonishing him to guard the entrance to his mind. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So on to uh, lesson five, which is the complacent mind. Both the body and the brain have a tendency to be lazy. 
Our modern technology allows and encourages us to put our brains in neutral and let the television, the internet, the video game, or cell phone do the thinking for us. People boast of being broad-minded, but are too lazy to think about what is right and wrong. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, we get some insight into the aged apostle at the close of his life. He isn't sitting in a lazy boy, enjoying his social security and planning his next trip to Maui. The frail, aching body is hunched in the corner of a cold, damp Roman prison, awaiting execution. He expects any moment to hear the footsteps of the executioner who will lead him to the chopping block before Nero's throne. He's ready to be offered. These last two letters to young Timothy will enable him to carry the baton faithfully long after Paul's gone. As he shivers in the shadows of that lonely cell, he writes, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. In his dying moments, he desires that the physical, mental, and spiritual all stay right. My body is cold, so bring me a coat. Bring me my coat. My mind is weary, so bring me the books. My soul is hungry, so bring me the scriptures. I have a few more hours to use for Christ. This is no time to be complacent. What a testimony. Nothing conceals your laurels so much as resting on them. Paul was practicing what he preached. Here in 1 Timothy 4, he presents, which are then our, our points here. First one is the challenge of a, start with an S. I heard, what did you, I heard something back there. Spiritual, this might be a, uh, might be a little difficult to get without getting, without uh, seeing it here. The challenge of a searching mind. Till I come, give attendance to reading. Well, actually, even further up, there's a, a sidebar in here. It says, a lazy person tempts the devil to tempt him, which is kind of interesting. Till I come, give attendance to reading, First Timothy 4.13 in that passage that we read. Statistics show that Americans spend more money annually on chewing gum than on books. Thanks for buying this one and reading this far. <laughs> may your mind increase. May your, kind, may your kind increase. But while reading is important, what you read is far more important. The information highway is cluttered with garbage and debris that is detouring many a life from God's destination for them. I'm amazed at how enamored we are with the wisdom of men and how bored we are with God's truth. We're all ears to the talking gurus of ESPN or Fox News, but when our pastor stands to read scripture, our minds wonder and our attitude is, I've heard all this before. 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20 For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? No wonder we're in such a mess in the world. Hosea 4, 6 my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject, reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. 
The following was found written in the flyleaf of Evangelist Billy Sunday's Bible after he died. This is apparently this is excerpted from W.A. Criswell's Why I Preach the Bible is Literally True. Twenty-nine years ago, with the Holy Spirit as my guide, I entered at the portico of Genesis, walking down the corridor of the Old Testament art galleries where pictures of Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel hung on the wall. I passed into the music room of Psalms where the Spirit sweeps the keyboard of nature until it seems that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responds to the harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher is heard and into the conservatory of Sharon and the lily of the valley where sweet spices filled and perfumed my life. I entered the business office of Proverbs and on into the observatory of the prophets where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointing to far-off events, concentrating on the bright and morning star which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judea for our salvation and redemption. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings, catching a vision written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thence into the correspondence room with Paul, Peter, James, and John writing the epistles. I stepped into the throne room of Revelation, where tower the glittering peaks, where sits the King of Kings upon his throne of glory, with the healing of the nations in his hand. And I cried out, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. I wonder, does that describe your Bible reading this morning? Or did you just check off a box on a Bible reading schedule? God commands us to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The gems of scripture are not all found on the surface. They must be mined by a diligent search. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So that's point one, so let's give the uh, subpoints in here. Give attendance to, this starts with an R. Reading. The next one is give adherence to, this is an interesting word, think cows. Starts with an R. Give adherence to ruminating. That's what you call when you're really going for alliteration. <laughs> give adherence to ruminating. So we had the challenge of a searching mind, and we have the challenge of a, also starts with an S. 
If you think of Second Peter, if you can think of Second Peter three one, <laughs> stirred. Yep, the challenge of a stirred mind. Till I come, give attendance to exhortation. In First Timothy four thirteen, the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word is designed to stir our minds. The Apostle Peter wrote his second epistle for this very purpose. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Peter's audience had heard the truth many times before, but it was his desire to keep preaching it so that their minds would be established in truth. 2 Peter 1, 12-13, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it mean, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Today, people think they have killed the fatted calf if they go to church on Sunday morning. In the book of Acts, the people went every day. Maybe that's why the early church was seeing constant revival and we're not. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.25 Jeremiah said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The parking lots of stadiums, movie houses, bars, and shopping malls are packed daily as we fill our lives with all that the well of the world has to offer, while there are pews at the front of the church that have not been sat on in years. No wonder our minds resemble cesspools rather than fountains of truth. You say, I don't like preaching. It makes me uncomfortable. It's supposed to. It's designed by God to stir up our minds. God's word comforts the distressed, but also distresses the comfortable. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. In a world that daily numbs our minds into believing a lie, we need the exhortation of God's word to stir us up to truth. So that's point two. So then the subpoints in here is the stirring of starts with an E. <laughs> the stirring of think of First uh, Timothy four thirteen. Think of First Timothy four thirteen. Exhortation. Yep. This, <clears throat> excuse me. The stirring of exhortation. And then, this is an interesting one here. The seduction of also starts with an E. This one might be an interesting one to get. Uh, elapsing. I assume that's in the sense of um, not being stirred. So on to point three, 
we had the challenge of a searching mind, the challenge of a stirred mind, and now the challenge of a, starts all starts with an S sound. Yep, the challenge of a sound mind. Till I come, give attendance to doctrine. Paul exhorted Timothy to stir up the gift which is in thee. And then in the next verse reminded him, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A mind that searches the scriptures and is constantly stirred up through the preaching of those scriptures will be a sound mind. People go through life seeking peace and contentment. They try all that the devil has to offer, but nothing satisfies. From party to party and weekend to weekend, they're left empty with a craving for more of that which never satisfies. The wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That's Isaiah 57, 20 to 21. Above the din of the world, Jesus calls, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. On thee, because he trusteth in thee, trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. That's Isaiah 26, 3 to 4. Don't let your mind become complacent. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5, 6. Job said, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Have you eaten today? So the, uh, the points there, these start with an O. Order, the order of a sound mind. And this also starts with an O. Longer word. Obedience, yep. The obedience of a sound mind. Okay. So some study questions here, kind of to finish it off. First one is 1 Timothy 4.13 says to give attendance to what three things? Yep, reading exhortation of doctrine in there. So what two evils did the people commit in Jeremiah's day, in Jeremiah 2.13? Think of that verse. Yep. It says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Isn't that interesting? Just the whole point of 
living water. You see that again, don't you? Probably what? I guess it'd be about 600 years later. And it's contrasted with a cistern, like a fountain living water that's constantly versus like a cistern with the holding tank that has no source of its own and it's broken. This is an interesting question here. Describe your Bible reading. Is it beneficial, consistent, thorough, and applicable to your daily life? And then after referring to John 5.39 and 2 Timothy 2.15, how can you enhance your time spent in the Bible? And those verses, um, John 5.39 is, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And 2 Timothy 2.15 is, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So question four says, in your own words, explain how this statement is true. A lazy person tempts the devil to tempt him. Thoughts along that line, or? Yeah, I guess kind of all that. Same line. Think of like teenagers and stuff. I'm not sure I've done this, but uh, when you ask your parents to do something that's probably not a good situation, like a party that they're not comfortable with, or whatever. Any other last thoughts? I'll give you one of my mother's proverbs. <laughs> Tim, it's good to have an open mind. But if you leave it open long enough, somebody's going to go garbage. In it. <laughs> it's good to have an open mind, but if you leave it open long enough, somebody's going to throw garbage in it. Question five, well, uh, study question here, five here is God's word comforts the distressed and distresses the comfortable. We need the exhortation of God's word to stir us up to truth. And it has you to write out the verses, which is Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, regarding 
biblical exhortation, which is, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, again, that was uh, Lesson 4 and 5, finishing off Part 1 of Brainwash Christianity with the Realization of a Captured Mind. Then we started Part 2 of Who Left the Brain Door Open with the Complacent Mind. Any thoughts, anybody in general, on anything? We're good? They're challenging. interesting never really thought about it before but the, again the study is really bringing it out just in the sense of how much it all really just comes back to your mind is where it all starts it's again just the point of right actions come from right thinking and wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions any other uh, parting thoughts Anything else? Were we closed tonight? Nope. Okay. Yes, we're good. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for the the lesson tonight and just the time we've had. Again, just thinking about um, thinking and biblical thinking and the power of biblical thinking, that if we could get our thinking right, that if we allow you to get our thinking right in your word, then right actions and right living follow from that and um, again really it, it is when you think about it it really does all start there that it starts in our mind and um, just give us wisdom and help us just to be able to be as, as was kind of pointed out just in your word just be saturating our minds with your word of course many different ways to do that it's just reading and meditating on it and hearing your word taught and preached and um, memorizing it many different ways that can be done and thank you for this study and then just the author putting it together and just laying out the truth from your word um, continue to challenging us to be thinking and um, focusing on the inner man and our thoughts and our thinking because again that's where the foundation and the source of our actions comes from and ask you to give us safety in going to our homes tonight and bring us back home, um, bring us back safely again on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.